five, an acceptable offering. We have seen up to this point four different judges in the scripture. Othniel, can we fix this a little bit? Uh, just, just, you don't know how to do it. You, thank you. We have seen four judges up to this point in scripture. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, and Deborah. God has continued to redeem a kingless kingdom. He loves his people so much that no matter how much they rebel, and no matter how many times they rebel, he's always there to redeem them. Every time they walk out of line with God, walk out of line with what he wants, he's always there to answer their cry. They have been through all kinds of bondages, eight years of bondage and then 40 years of peace, 18 years of bondage and then 80 years of peace. Last week, 20 years of bondage and now they're exiting 40 years of peace and they're about to go into seven years of bondage. Thank you. I find it funny how each time there's a different level of bondage that they're in in oppression. They were in eight years of it, 18 years of it, 20 years of it, and now it's only seven years of it. And I began to wonder why at this time were they only in seven years of bondage? Were they getting closer to God? Were they understanding that they needed him more? Unfortunately, the answer is no. The reason they were in seven years of bondage was something completely different. In Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, this is what it says. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites. I'm going to make sure all this off. Y'all hear that ring? Y'all hear? I'm, I'm hearing something in my ears. I'm sorry. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Someone say Midianites. Midianites. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in mountains caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, mortars from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gazan. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkey. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts, and they arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. Can you imagine... Being an Israelite, and when the enemy is coming, there is so much of them that you cannot count them, and the only way to describe their presence is they look like a swarm of locusts. Can you imagine seeing that in the spirit? People of God and the demonic. Swarms coming at them. It says they stayed there until the land was stripped bare, and Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. The reason this time they cried out after only seven years of bondage, it wasn't because they were beginning to understand God better. It was because this time the oppression was the worst oppression they ever faced. And before, they could deal with eight years. They could deal with 18 years. They could get to the point where they were dealing with 20 years of it. We're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to rebel with what we want to rebel with. We're going to walk in what we want to walk with. But this time, they said, we cannot take this anymore. What, what was going on? They could not even live in their own homes. They were hiding out in caves. They were hiding out in the mountains. They couldn't even harvest their own crops. Every time they got some growth, every time they produced, it says the enemy would come and they would strip them bare. They were literally in starvation mode, hiding because they couldn't even walk out in public without oppression. It reminds me very much of what's happening in America. The government's closing down churches, promoting other faiths more than Christianity. You can't even walk downtown without some person telling you to put a mask on outside when you're not around anybody. It's getting to a point where our rights are starting to get stripped away and no one is saying a thing. Oh, you know what the church is saying right now? Yes, sir. And we, we are using technology to go completely online. No one's coming together. And, and the, the church is just submitting. I, I think about and I'm not picking on them because I, I want to make sure I honor 
mega church pastors because they are men of God and they have done a great work. Amen? But I cannot imagine having a congregation of 10, 15, 20,000 people where you could change the climate of a city by your faith and you're going into hiding. I can't imagine that. But God could. And he changed the world with just 12 people. So I don't care if we're small. I don't care if we've got a few. If we can all get on a radical same page, and I do mean radical, like sacrificing everything, putting everything of ours at the foot of the cross and running after God like never before, we can turn this country back to him and redeem this kingless kingdom. That's what they're going through. They've lost their houses. They've lost their lands. They've lost their ability to do anything. And I want to read a passage, uh, one verse from Joshua chapter 24, right before Judges starts, because God speaks to them and tells them the truth. Look at Joshua 24, 13. God says, I gave you land you had not worked on. I gave you towns you did not build. The towns where you're living right now. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. Why am I reminding you of that? God gave them all this stuff. Lands to produce crops. Houses to live in. Places of comfort. And uh, an ability to live in complete peace. But because of their rebellion to God's ways, they are now not even able to live in the place God said, here. They're having to hide out in their own land. They can't live in their own houses. They can't work in their own fields. Every time they try to do something, the enemy comes and rips it out from under them. Every time they try to live in their, their homes, it's just oppression. And the, and the enemy says, that's not your home, that's my home. And that's exactly what's happening in our country. God says, this is my home. And then when you start to try to, to even live in your home, the enemy says, no, that's mine. And then you find out your kids are in pornography. You find out your husband's cheating on the wife and the wife's cheating on the husband. You find out that everything is falling apart in the home and you're like, what is going on? Because every time you try to live in it, God, the enemy says, no, 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 that's my home. This isn't yours anymore. You, you try to manage your finances and the enemy comes in and says, no, 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 that's my pocketbook. That's my wallet. That's my bank account. We try to walk in faith and not by sight and say, this disease won't, this, this disease won't touch me and all of a sudden you got to live as if it can. And I, I know I harp on COVID a lot, but that's where we're at right now. I, I've had three pastors call me this month and ask, ask simply, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? They said, well, I heard that, you know, you're having like, like 100 people throughout the weekend. Believe it or not, that's true because there are two services. They're kids. There's a lot more than what you see here. I heard that you've got 20 and 30 kids coming. What are you doing? I said, not backing down. And, 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 and they were like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what do you mean, what, I'm, what do I mean? Well, I mean, what are you doing about masks and social distancing? We don't social, well, we, 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 don't, we, don't you have to mark off every other chair? It's like, I bought those chairs. <laughs> they didn't. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to let the enemy tell me where the people can sit and where they can't sit because y'all scared about a flu symptom called COVID. But that's what's going on in America. Every time we try to live in freedom, the enemy tries to steal it. These people were hiding out in their own land. They were totally starving. They were totally humiliated. You know what was happening to the people? They were being humble. Because what was happening, what, what is the definition of rebellion? Exalting yourself above your authority. When you try to tell your child no and they say, I'm going to do it anyways, they are trying to exalt themselves above your authority. Perhaps that's why the scripture says, spare the rods, full the child. 
Well, that's not how I raise my kids. Well, then you're not doing it like God told you to do. No matter what you say. The issue is parents do it out of anger and not out of discipline. Big difference. So we've developed a culture of don't spank your kids because all they see is an anger thing. I don't even know why I'm talking about that. I hope y'all don't get in trouble today. <laughs> Matthew 23, 12 says this. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. These people were being humble before God because for, for years, after 40 years of peace, we can do this ourselves. We, 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 we know the game. I don't have to follow all of God's rules because there's grace. Or look what I've done. Look at my house that I've acquired with my wealth and with my degree and with my hard work. Look what I've done. And they forget that the reason they're doing it was because he gave you the ability in the first place. And all of a sudden they're saying, look at this land. Look what we've created. Look what I've done with my life. Look what I, ah, 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 ah. And all of a sudden the enemy comes in. You can't even live in what you built. And then God's like, you didn't even build it. I, I did that. The only reason you have a gift to get a paycheck is because I placed it in you before you were born into this world. Did you forget that? God gave them the land, and instead of storing it in the name of the Lord, they did evil in his sight. They're not storing anything unto the Lord, and they were at this place where they were so humbled that they were living and hiding when they should have been ruling. Colossians 3.23 says this. Work willingly at whatever you do. Whatever you do. Work willingly in everything you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Not just in the things you like to do. Not just in the things that God has called you to do. But work willingly at whatever you do. In all things, do it as an acceptable, thankful offering before God. And if you're not doing it for God, you either need to get rid of it or start managing it as if he was the one that was in control of you stewarding the resource to give him glory. I, I used this example last night. Um, Michael, does, he, he does extreme ministry work in his full-time job. He delivers beer. Someone said amen. That's, that's what he does. He just delivers beer. And y'all know what the church has done over the years. Well, God can't use that man. God can't use someone that's going to deliver beer to people because that's, going, that's what the church has done. But the scripture says, work willingly at whatever you do. So how do you steward delivering beer for God? You know what Michael does? All he talks about is the Lord, and he's, he, he's, bringing, he, he's, he's spreading the, the love and blood of Jesus into every relationship he makes. And now he's got half of them starting to come to church, and uh, they, they get married next weekend, and, and they got people coming to the, the wedding ceremony. And you know what they asked me to do? They said, hey, Kyle, can you preach 10 to 15 minutes in the, in the wedding ceremony because we've got lost people? There, there's a, a old friend of mine, I didn't know this until he told me a, a, a couple days ago, but he, he needs a job, and he's like the most innocent, holy dude you'd ever meet. And when Michael says, hey, I want to bring this guy on in the company, the company looked at him and said, you're going to bring that kid into this wicked thing? And not that the beer delivery was wicked, he's talking about his employees. Just, just, just nasty people. He said, you, you going to mess that kid up? And Michael's like, well, what if he can help change the atmosphere? Whatever you do, in all things, 
work as willingly as unto the Lord. People pick on me all the time about my OCD habits. Let me give you an example. The ladies meet for Bible study every Tuesday night. And what they'll do is they'll take this front row and they put it in a circle where they put it around a table. And every Wednesday when I come here for equipping nights, I look at this row. And this is me. Picking up trash. I, I don't like things out of order. And it's not because I'm second-guessing what people did. It's because I live by this principle. In everything I do, I want to do it as an acceptable offering to the Lord. If God walked into my house, I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, some of you, if God walked into your house right now, you'd be like, hey, can you hold on for a minute? Can you stand outside the door? I know you're God, like Jesus, I'm glad you're here, but just wait, give, me, give me about 16 hours. <laughs> and I know that that's funny, but in all seriousness, like in whatever you do, the friendships, the relationships, the work habits, the way you bring order to your house, everything you do acceptable to God. The way you talk about the things you don't agree with, acceptable to God, the way you give glory to him, everything you do. And what's funny is that these people are in oppression, years of it, and their first valuable resource is the thing that they turn to last. And it's a free resource available to everyone, prayer. After seven years of so much oppression, having to hide in their own camps, having to live in mountains, having to hide in caves instead of dwelling in their houses, building crops, producing from the land, they're having to do everything in secret, and the free resource was simply cry out to me. And it took them seven years of living in absolute hell before they finally said, God, can you help us? Jeremiah 33.3 says this, Call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Pastor Kyle, I need an answer. Why are you asking me first? God says, ask him and he'll show you. But that's what we do. We go to everyone else before we go to the Almighty who says, approach my throne boldly. I bought you at a price so that you could talk to me one-on-one -on -one without a mediator. You don't need a priest and you don't need a pastor and you, 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 don't, you don't need a Mother Mary and you don't need you know, 15 stones put around your feet. Oh, no, God, I need you. I've got this situation. And then the way God works is sometimes he answers you through a thought. Sometimes he answers you through a vision. Sometimes he answers through people. But you have closed yourself off from people so much that you don't get into the path of the answer. Isn't it funny throughout the week how much stuff we go through? What if God wants to answer what you, what you need through someone but you're so busy that you cannot commune with the saints? You can't come together with the brothers and sisters of God? And I'm not talking about Bible studies. I think sometimes Bible studies are amped up too much. Sometimes the most powerful things of God are just let's break some bread together. I'm gonna be, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I grew up going to church. I grew up in Bible studies in college. The most honest conversations I had was not around the Bible studies study in John chapter 3. It was 8 o'clock at the 24-hour diner and I'm just messed up and I want to talk to somebody. Every time Jesus taught with his disciples, what were they doing? Chowing down. Every time. Read it. And they broke bread. And they broke bread. And they, God loves to eat. He made this whole sacrament called communion. He said, do it as often as you meet. <laughs> God says, just cry out to me. Let me answer you how I want. And in Judges chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, after all the suppression, having to live in their hiding, it says this in verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, that horrible oppressor, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. Not a judge. 
Because God had to deal with something before he brought up the judge. Through the prophet, this is what he said. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies. I gave you their land. I told you I'm the Lord your God. I told you not to worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you haven't listened to me. What was God addressing? The Israelites are living in the worst time of their life. They can't live in their own homes. Every time they try to to work, the government takes it. Hashtag taxes. Every time they try to do something, it's ripped out from them. Every time they try to create some wealth, the enemy takes it. The oppressor takes it. Happens with addiction. You increase, 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 and then you relapse and... And addiction ain't just drugs and alcohol. It's spending habits. It's gluttony. I've had to look at my wallet... Because I, 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 I had a little bit of a blessing, and I've been spending a lot of my money eating out. I opened my account day, I went, whoo, salad time. Let me get a water instead of that Coke, right? Would you like an appetizer? Nope, I'm good. I don't want to spend the extra $6. I don't know why I even went there. But it's just the enemy tries to rip it out from under you. And God says, let me deal with the issue here. You cried out to me because you think the issue is the Midianites. You think the issue is the enemy. You, church, think the issue is Satan. You think the issue is a demon. You think the issue is the government. You think the issue is the leadership. God says, the issue is not the Midianites. Israel, the issue is you. Look at what he says. I got you out of slavery. I rescued out of captivity. I took care of your enemies. I gave you land. I told you not to worship anyone, and look what you did. And I don't know about you, but I grew up, not growing up, but like when I started getting to the charismatic church, when I, when I got my first job in ministry, coming out of Baptist and Methodist theology into spirit-filled people, every spirit-filled person did the same thing. That's the enemy. I'm like, no, that's you, you idiot. The enemy took it. No, your lust took it. Your flesh took it. Your uncontrollable ways took it. The enemy has no power to do anything except suggest something into your mind and then you say that's a good idea and you do it. He has no authority. The only person thing that has authority over you is your will to submit to a temptation or submit to your God. And we dig our own holes and blame it on the devil. And the devil knows he's defeated and all he's trying to do is buy time until it's done. God's revealing to them, y'all are the issue. Let me make sure you're aware of who you are before I rescue you. Because before I redeem you this time, you need to know who you are. You're my sons. You're my daughters. You're my people. You need to be reminded, this is your land. You're no longer slaves. You're supposed to be free, but you're running from your own land. You can't live in your own. Remember who you are. And I think for the church, especially in 2020, the people of God need to remember who you are. Do we really believe that we have a hedge of protection around us? Do we really believe that he never leaves us? Do we really believe that he is there right now? Because a lot of the people that I've talked to in the church, and when I say the church, I don't mean relentless. I mean the church, the body of Christ. Everyone's saying the same thing. Well, I just don't know why God's letting this happen. He ain't let, The reason he's letting it happen is because it's on our accord. Because he says, I've given you the authority to dwell and rule in your land. And the reason we're in this is because this is how you have ruled. You've made my relationship about law, and now the generations are coming up making their own laws. 
What you mean making their own laws? There's in public school, they're teaching you to at four years old to decide your own gender. That's a huge issue. And the people of generation, whatever it is, Z or, you know, whatever it is. What's the generation? Generation lost. I'm just just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not speaking that over them. They're starting to form their own opinions. Like, just to give you one of them. I told you earlier about my story how my biological mother was going to have an abortion, right? Well, she's got two kids. I, I, I'm 30, and then the kids are 17 and 18, 18, 19. And they've always wanted to meet me when I met them three or four years ago. And you know what their opinion is about abortion? They support it. And I said, but do you realize that if it was true, I wouldn't be here? They say, yeah. Because it's no longer about truth. It's forming their own opinion. But even the church does it. The church makes its own theology. Well, you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit unless you have the evidence of tongues. Where in the heck does it say that in that word? It don't. And then when you try to show it to them, like, well, here it is, and this is where it says it, and they're like, no, we don't need to read that. We know what our theology is. Well, then it's obviously not in line with this if you don't want to pick it up. And I'm I'm trying to give you a a very uh, balanced canvas. It's not just the next generation. It's also the old wineskin of the current generation. Because we are teaching people what to believe instead of how to formulate your own belief based off of what the scripture says. And people grow up Baptist believing you don't operate in healing, not because they search it out, but because that's what theology taught. And in my seeking, I have figured out it's still for today, and thank God, because I don't want to believe that I don't have the power of God in me, where if God said, heal a leg, I can lay my hands on it and see it. I truly believe that that's for today. But you know why we're not walking in it? Because no one's taught the truth of it. We don't have the faith. We have more faith in statistics by spun media than the power of God. I don't know why I'm on this. I I was looking last week, uh, uh, the, the, the morning after the debate, people were like, can you believe that debate? I can't believe this happened. I'm like, what is it called? You're disappointed about something that they are made to argue? And we as a nation have embraced, I can't wait to see two men argue so I can choose which one's better. But we don't look at it like that, right? Because we've been conditioned. They've forgotten who they were. They forgot their position in the kingdom. They forgot their sons and daughters of the living God. Have you? Psalm 103 says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm God. I, I I am God's child. My identity is in him. That's not in these circumstances. I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. I will move forward. They were crying out to help. They were in all this opposition. God said, let me deal with the identity. And then he raises up a judge. This okay? Look at verse 11 through 12. Then the angel of the Lord came. Marty told me she was serving in kids last night, so I better preach better this morning. And so far, it's, this is the better one. So this is the one I'm posting online. <laughs> Judges, verse, chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. That's the beauty of two servers. I get to pick what sermon I put out. I usually pick the more offensive one. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came <laughs> and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah. Not Oprah, Ophrah which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, someone shout Gideon. 
Now, Gideon's a judge being raised up, and we're going to be in Gideon for the next few weeks because we only cover in half the chapter today. Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. The first thing the angel of the Lord does is he says, Let me call you out in your rightful identity. Mighty hero, God's with you. And the place that he's calling Gideon a mighty hero is the place where Gideon is hiding like a scared little boy underneath the wine press, threshing wheat. Not exactly the position of a mighty man of God. Because I don't know if you know what the threshing of wheat is, but it's basically separating the grain and the seed from the, the shaft. It's, it's separating the grain and the seed so that the people can eat and have something to, to, to do something with. So in order to separate the wheat, in order to thresh the wheat, they would, what they, they, they would put out something called a threshing floor. It was a large area. They put all the wheat on the ground, and they would do one of two things. They would take big wheels and push it over it so the seeds and everything was separated, and the shaft would just blow away in the wind. Or they would get all the oxen to just stomp all over it, like, like the old I Love Lucy, you know, uh, 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 great uh, wine thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Obviously not. I watched a lot of Nick at Night back in the day. That's all we had. But... Some of y'all were so old, y'all saw it live TV, but um, I'm just, <laughs> I love y'all though, how y'all are young, not old, um, but you're old. So they would, the oxen would stomp all over the wheat and they would separate it so the rest would blow away and they could gather it, it'd be really easy. But remember, if they would have put the threshing floor in public and Gideon got oxen and wheels, you know who would have seen it? The Midianites, the enemy. And what did it say earlier? Every time the enemy would come in and whoosh, take it. So Gideon was hiding under a wine press doing all this by hand. Extra work. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Gideon, I'd be ticked at God. Well, God, why didn't, why didn't you come through for me? I'm sitting here. I should be out being able to do this easily. Said so I got I to work extra hours, and I got to sweat, and I'm in, the, I'm in the south, so we have 11 months of summer and one month of half winter, and, and some days we got all four seasons, and I'm, ha I'm having to do all this stuff, and I'm, I'm, I'm tired of doing all this extra work. Now I, I got to be in hiding. I'm doing all this work, and I can't even get my own home. I'm doing all this extra stuff. God, where are you at? And God's like, hey, mighty hero. Gideon is, a very, and is in a very humble, difficult place. But God says, sir, you're mighty. I want to read Colossians 3.23 again. Work willingly at whatever. Whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. You know what God saw in Gideon? Even though he was miserable and hiding, and doing the extra work, he still did it well. Because he wanted to make sure we ain't going to starve, and we ain't going to go without, just because I can't do it in public. And I believe that there will be a day where it's going to come to a place where the people of God, may, we might not be able to do things in public, and God wants to see what are you going to do in the private. Yeah, I, I heard a, a preacher say this this week, and I believe it. I think, I think this season of COVID-19 was a test. There will be a day when we're going to have to prove ourselves without the um, comfortable environment of a building. So y'all complain about the AC being cold all y'all want right now, but in about 10 years, y'all going to be, man, I wish we had that AC still. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know, what, I don't know what's going to happen. This is where Gideon's at. Everything's been taken away. And he's in the worst circumstances, but he's still doing it. And he's doing it well. 
And a lot of people have this mentality of I'll do it well if it's for God. And you no. Know, even if you think I'm not with you, I want you to do it as if you were doing it for me. Even if you blame me for your circumstances, I want you to do it as if you were doing it for me. Even if you go to Sunday lunch and your waiter or waitress is the most horrible server in the world, tip them well as if you were tipping me. Talk to your kids as if you're talking to me. Talk to your parents. Honor thy father and mother, uh, father and mother as if you were honoring me. Whatever you do, do it as if it was unto me. Changes your perspective when you deal with people you hate and don't like. Bless your enemies. What has God done? He, 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 he says, I pour out blessings to the just and the unjust. Because even in their unjust state, I still love the people. I don't love you once you get saved. I've loved you all along. Getting saved is, put, is, is redeeming you for a rightful position to do something with the grace of God. Doesn't make him love you more. We've forgotten that in the church. And we blame people not knowing God on God. Why won't God talk to them? Oh, trust me, he does. And he loves them just the same. So Gideon responds to God after he says, mighty man hiding like a little wimp under the wine press. Gideon responds to him just like we would probably if we were Gideon. Look at, look at verse 13. Sir, if the Lord is with us, why did he let all this happen to us? You ever had one of those thoughts? Well, if God's with me, why the heck did he let this happen to me? Eight years ago, I got diagnosed with that tumor. The first thing I said is, God, what? where are you at? Why did you let this happen? Where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about God? We sure could use one now. You ever been there? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us and handed us over to the worst oppressor called the Midianites ever. Where's God? He turns with this response and says, God's not with us. He puts, Gideon puts it all on God. In Hebrews 13, God says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. In 1 Corinthians 10, God says, God is faithful and you can only be tempted with a measure you cannot be tempted with something that you cannot handle. Well, where is God when I get tempted with something I can't handle? You ever question that verse? Well, wait, it says that we can only be tempted with what we can handle, but you don't know what I got tempted with. Well, you obviously don't know the God that dwells within you. Because this is how I read that verse. I can't be tempted with what I can't handle, but if God is with me, and living in me, with his strength and his power, I can handle anything. So no, the Bible says God can't even be tempted. So if God's with me, I don't care how big the temptation is, I can always handle it. But what do you lean to, yourself or the spirit? Do you depend on your strength or his? Because if you're falling into temptation, it's not because it was too much to handle. It's because you didn't believe that he was with you that much to depend on his strength. Ouch. Fruit of the Spirit, self-control. This good? Where am I at? Getting questions in. God, where are you at? I thought you were all this powerful God. Why you let us do this? Now remember, God's already sent the prophet to deal with this. Look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you do have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. Now, that boggles my mind because Gideon God just said, you're mighty even though you're hiding. 
and then Gideon just totally blamed God for everything. Well, if you God, and where, where, where he been at? And God doesn't respond with a rebuke. He doesn't respond with, well, let, let me tell you where I've been at, Gideon. I've been with you the whole time. You just had your ears shut. He, he didn't do any of that. He, he just said, well, go with the strength you do have. I'm sending you. Because you know what Gideon's been doing this entire time? Working willing at whatever he did as if it was unto God, even though he believed that God left him. And there are so many times we blame what we don't do on, I don't feel God's with me. Even if you feel he's not, you still work as if he is. That's what we refer to as pushing through. You ever heard the term praying on through? You lift up your prayers even though you feel like he's not listening because you're reassured with the truth that he's always listening. That he's always looking upon evil and good. You see, this entire time Gideon thought God had left, this is God. He's just watching Gideon. Look at my good and faithful servant. He's working so hard. He's cursing my name, but he's doing it for me. I imagine that's the satisfaction of a parent when they ground a child. <laughs> yeah, look, look, you you doing all the sex work, but you but you listened. Look at verse fifteen. I hope this is okay today. Verse fifteen. But Lord, isn't that funny? Because earlier it referred to this as an angel of the Lord, but now Gideon looks at the angel and says, but Lord, a typo. <laughs> we would think it was a typo. But what was the angel of the Lord? It was Jesus appearing to Gideon before Jesus came in the flesh. Because Jesus existed as the word of God. This was a word that the Father was delivering to Gideon. And the angel of the Lord was speaking on behalf of the Father. What does Jesus do for us? He puts us in rightful position to do the work of the Father. What was Jesus doing right here? He was raising up a judge to put into rightful position to do the work of the Father. Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. I'm the weak of the weak of the weak. And the Lord said to him, I'll be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Immediately after God calls him in his identity, mighty man of valor, Gideon questions him, and Gideon was correct. I, I, I can't do this. I can't. I, I, I can't defeat Israel. I, I'm the weakest of the weak of the weak. And God says, that's exactly why I want to use you. Because in your weakest of the weak place, you worked diligently as an acceptable offering to me. And because you understand you're weak and because you understand you can't, you're going to have to depend on my strength. So I know you see everything you can't do. But that is the most moldable vessel I can use to bring restoration to this king's kingdom. And remember what God says? He, he says, I'll be with you and go on what strength you do have. Well, think about what Gideon was questioning. Do you remember in the previous weeks of Judges, it says the reason the people rebelled is because it says they forgot about their God? Gideon obviously didn't forget. Because what did he question about? Well, weren't you the one who delivered us out of Egypt? Weren't you the one who poured out the miracles? Weren't you the one that did this? God had to send a prophet to the rest of the people. Y'all remember what I did? I got y'all out of slavery. I gave you the land. I gave you miracles. I did this. I did this. And Gideon comes and he's like, I mean, <laughs> Where's God? Isn't he the one that did this? Gideon knew who God was. So he was using his knowledge of God to test whether this was God. 
the strength that Gideon had, he had the knowledge of God. He was humble in his threshing of wheat in a secret place. He was caring about Israel because he didn't want them to starve, so he put in the extra work. He had strength of his hunger for God because the entire time he was working, he did it as if it was for him, hoping that God would come upon the people and move. Which is exactly where some of the churches, we're doing this, hoping God will come and move, but it's not enough just to do and hope. At some point in our diligence, we have to hear him and do something with the call in our life. While you're bringing about this acceptable offering called your life. Gideon was teachable because at this point he's gone from questioning is it God, questioning his, his might, and then he's like, well, how am I going to do it? Show me the way. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. In his humility, God says, because you have to depend solely on me, you're the best one I can use for the, for, for the battle that's to come. We've got to walk in our identity, and we cannot let our authority become the thing we boast in. You know, the, the scripture even tells us don't boast in the authority that I've given you. Why is that? Because we try to use the authority God's given us to build our own kingdoms. God says, no, no, don't boast in that authority. Use your authority to build my house. How do I build this house? Through your life. You're the temple of God. You are how God enters in the earth. Everything you do, build his house. The hidden places. Gideon was in a place no one was looking at him. He didn't have crowds. This was his secret place, and he was stewarding his secret place as unto the Lord. How do you steward your secret place that no one knows about? God was calling Gideon to be raised up to redeem this kingless kingdom. Philippians 2 describes it like this in verses 5 through 9. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something you cling to. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. God says, this is the model. Be moldable, be teachable, be obedient, and be self-sacrificing. That is the acceptable offering that I need from you. So after God deals with Gideon, this is your identity, this is your purpose, you're going to lead the people into a redemption of the kingless kingdom, I'm going to do it through your weak places, you're going to have to depend on me, Gideon is still doubting. So this is what he, Gideon says in verse 17, Gideon puts God to a test. Look what he says, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that this is really the Lord speaking to me. Now, you would think by now, you know, if I'm seeing an angel of the Lord, to me, that's going to be confirmation enough. But remember, this entire time, Gideon's thinking God left. So this could have been him, him hallucinating in the heat. This, is, this could have been him flesh. This could have been pride. This could have been a lot of things. God's, so Gideon's like, prove to me through a sign that you're really God. And it's funny because Gideon starts telling God what to do. Look at verse 18. Don't go away until I come back. Can you imagine telling God, you know, like, hey, you stay right here, God. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. Bring what? Offering. And God answered, I'll stay here until you return. Look at the humility in God. God, you stay right here. Well, I mean, I've been in oppression for seven years. Yeah, I'll wait for you. Verse 19, so Gideon hurried home, and he cooked a young goat 
and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. And then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in the pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. Now, most people, when you say, God, wait here for me to get back, not only would they hurry to get an offering, but they would get the easiest thing that they can bring to God. What do I got on the shelf? Oh, I got some meat I can warm up in the microwave. I got some bread. Yeah, it's expiring in a month. That's good. Let me go. No. Gideon, he goes and gets a young goat, skins it, cuts it up, cooks the meat. While the fresh meat's cooking, he starts to make bread. Apparently, they taught men how to cook back in the day. I'm good at you know, cooking a $5 box from Little Caesars. I can't, I can't cook. I mess up toast. He, he's doing all this stuff. Cooking the meat. Making the bread. Putting the broth in the pot. And remember, he's doing all of this in what? Secret. Because if he would have been out with this beautiful feast of a goat and bread and broth, what would have happened? The enemy, oh, that's mine. So not only is he taking all this time to skin a goat, cook a goat, make the bread, get the broth, he's doing it all in such a way where no one sees it. Can you imagine how long it must have took Gideon? Uh, you know, when, when, if I'm God, I'm like, yeah, take your time. I, and I'm probably thinking, okay, he might come back in 30 minutes. This is probably like hours upon hours. And, and, and can you imagine God? He's like up here at the rock, and Gideon's like, I'll be right back. And God's just like, Boy, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Gideon takes all this time, and he comes back. Proverbs 13 4 says, Lazy people want much, but get little. Those who work hard will prosper. What's the American culture, though, the easy way? Proverbs 21.5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. It's been a lot easier for Gideon just to get whatever was available. But what was he doing? He says, I'm going to work willingly at whatever I do as an acceptable offering. He didn't want to give God the leftovers. He didn't want to give God secondhand stuff. But isn't that what we do as a people? God, you get my time when I'm done with what I got to do. God, I, I'll give you my service when I have time. And the, I believe the church has done a poor job of this. Because we have created a culture in the church where you serve God when you come to the house. That's not what we're preaching here. It's your ministry and your service is what you do at work. Is it an acceptable offering for Christian businessmen to lie, steal, and cheat to make a dollar and then they tithe off of it? Work at whatever. What's my ministry? I deliver beer. What's my ministry? I, I sell jets at Gulfstream. What's my ministry? I clean the church. What's my ministry? I deal with people I can't stand talking to all day. What's my? It's not just come here and serve on a stage or greet at a door. What is church? It's not the pinnacle of the week. It's the start of the week. You get trained at base camp to go out and work willingly at whatever you do as unto the Lord. And then you come back, you get filled up, and go do it all again. You get the strategy, you get the mission, you get the equipping, and then you go. But what has church become? Y'all bunch of sinners messed up all week, come to the altar. Maybe I'm too crazy. And we have altar calls when the Holy Spirit leads. But I would love to get to a place where we don't need the altar call here. 
we get equipped and take the altar call out there. What happened to that church? But we also broken and messed up. We need the pastor pray for us. Altar call, healing. Well, let's get to a point where we have no need. That's impossible. Well, God says, I have everything you need. Seek me and you'll find it. What if that's the new wineskin we're going to? And there will be times people come into the house and, and they don't know God, and, and then the Holy Spirit will say, open it up. But why have we made that into the culture of a church service? Because we have got it totally backwards. Most churches you go, and every time you hear a sermon, it's a, it's a salvation call. I'm not speaking against that. But shouldn't the church be the ones who are meeting together who are already saved? And this, you don't want to hear that, right? Because it's about, well, I want to bring my friends here to get saved. Yes, do it. And when they're here and God sees it, he's going to open it up. But let's not make this recipe of making church about the lost. The church is about the people of God to get trained and equipped to go out and reach the lost. And then bring them here to get trained up in what they have found. Is that too much? But everything we do is half donkey offerings. One day I'll say it. I might say it today. Or ever, maybe. I don't know. Maybe at lunch. <laughs> Malachi chapter 1 talks about this. I'm doing good. I'm going to be done by 12 today. Maybe. Verse 6. Malachi 1. The Lord of heaven's army says to the priest, a son honors his father, a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You've shown me contempt for my name, but you ask, well, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices at my altar. And then you ask, well, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by, by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. You give me blind animals and sacrifices. Isn't that wrong? Isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of Heaven's army. Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? You know what God's saying? Why are you bringing me your leftovers? What did Gideon do? He didn't go and find out the he didn't go find the goat that was ready to be killed. He didn't go look in the, you know, the freezer, if you will, and find out do I have any leftover meat. He didn't go get the bread that was easily accessible. He said, if I'm gonna bring an offering to what I think is God, because remember, Gideon ain't convinced yet. But even if it's not God, he says, I'm gonna do everything as if it was. And he says, my God don't deserve leftovers and my God don't deserve second choice. I'm going to go. I'm not going to give him a chili steak. I'm getting a Ruth's Chris. I'm getting the best bread, like the Olive Garden kind of breadsticks, like better than that. Like better than the, the cheese biscuits at Jim and Nick's. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the best stuff. I'm, I'm getting y'all ready for lunch. And he, and he takes all this time and he brings God the best possible offering. And in verse 20, it says, The angel of God said to him, Place that meat and that bread on his rock. Pour that broth all over it. And Gideon did as he was told. About time Gideon did something he was told. But he has been the entire time. He just didn't know it. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff in his hand. Fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. God accepted his offering. And then what Gideon does is funny. Look at verse 22. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, Oh, crap. 
that was God. I am doomed. The text says, oh, sovereign Lord, but y'all know he didn't say that. (laughs) Oh, my God, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. You see what just happened? He gave an offering to the appearance of the angel of the Lord that was Jesus, and when he disappeared, it was rightful enough for the Father to speak. He said, it's all right. Don't be afraid. This God that you only see as a wrathful God, I'm not going to kill you. You're not going to die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And that altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abazir to this day. And I think if a lot of us have this response sometimes as we get afraid because God's disappointed in us when we get it wrong. You know, we always give Thomas a bad name, Doubting Thomas. Jesus didn't rebuke him. He said, oh, you got questions here? Touch me. And we we built this culture in the church of making it think it's bad to question God or have a conversation with God. And God's like, just like I sent the angel of the Lord to Gideon, I sent Jesus, I bought you, I redeemed you, I put you at my place. Approach me boldly. Talk to me. Ask me anything, and I will show you what you do not know. I think we should preach a different message about Thomas. I think Thomas got his position. Thomas just like, let me see those scars. Oh, you, you get it, Thomas. You, you can ask whatever you want. Here you go. You want, you want to put your finger in my flesh? You want to touch, you want to touch the blood? Like sarcastic Jesus. Now here, go ahead. There's, there's, there's a wound there. This is what's going on with Gideon. No, don't worry, you're good. And Gideon turned all this doubt into a praise and said, peace. All this time, God was dealing with Gideon, identity, calling him out and who he was. And the entire time, all Gideon had to do to prove himself was offer an acceptable offering. He built an altar as his response to the goodness of God for not killing him, for not cutting him away. And my question for us today, church, is if Jesus has redeemed you and bought you at a price and did it all for you, have you built him an altar with your life? Or are you still like the other Israelites, doing what you're doing, halfway, spiteful, bitter, not giving God any praise for the stuff that you're in. You complain about the house, but forget there's people that don't have one. You complain about the disease, but forget we're in a country where we have the resources to give comfort to those who need it. We are in a country where we get to vote, but we complain about the voting process. We do have freedom right now. Why aren't we extras? We're... It's like we're expecting for our freedom to get taken away more than walking in for what freedom we do have now that could change the course of what could be. Hebrews 13, 14 through 15, this is the last scripture I'll read. This world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. And I want to stop right there because I want to remind you, it's not just heaven in the clouds. The home yet to come is heaven on earth. This, these circumstances are not permanent. He says, I'm going to build a new Jerusalem on the story earth. I'm going to put it right back on there. I'm going to give you a new flesh and put you right back on the earth. But this home, this, this, this catastrophe and the earth crying out through hurricanes and earthquakes and people killing each other and gossiping and looting, this, this isn't permanent. So can you please steward this with an acceptable kind of stewardship for me? I think sometimes we get lost and we're doing this for us. God's like, just do do it for me. Make your life an altar. We sing a song sometimes here that I enter the gates with nothing but praise and the bridge goes, sing, 
My soul will sing. My soul will make this life an altar. Make this life an altar. Have you made your life an altar? Where every time you come against something or the enemy tries to make you feel like you have to be run afraid, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be a skeptic. I'm not going. I'm not going to be deceived. I, I am a child of God. Peace. And I'm going to get peace by doing everything as if it was an offering to God. You want to know how you get peace, everyone? Mindset. This is for God. This isn't for me. This isn't for him. This isn't for her. This is not for my horrible boss. This is not for my ungrateful family. This is not for my kids. This is for God. This is for, this is for you, Lord. And if you do it in that posture, you will, make, you will build an altar of praise everywhere you go. Make your life an acceptable offering before the Lord. Amen.